On the morning of July 14th, 1789, the city of Paris was in a state of alarm. The king had commanded troops to move into the city. Rumours spread that he would soon order the army to fire upon the citizens. Some 7,000 men and women gathered in front of the town hall to form a people's militia. They broke into many government buildings in search of arms. A group of several hundreds of people marched towards the eastern part of the city and stormed the fortress prison the Bastille, where they hoped to find hoarded ammunitions. In the armed fight that followed, the commander of the Bastille was killed, and all the seven prisoners were released. Bastille was hated by all. It was a symbol of the tyrannical power of the king. The fortress was demolished, and its stone fragments were sold in the markets to all those who wished to keep a souvenir of its destruction. The days that followed were filled with riots both in Paris and in the countryside. When the historians looked back upon this time, they saw it as the beginning of a chain of events that ultimately led to the execution of the king in France. Why and how did this happen? In 1774, Louis XVI of the Bourbon family of kings ascended the throne of France. He was 20 years old and was married to the Austrian princess Mary Antoinette. The royal treasury was already almost empty as a result of the long wars and the high cost of maintaining the extravagant court at the large palace of Versailles. He also helped the 13 American colonies to gather their independence from the common enemy, the British. This added more than a billion livres to the debt that had already amounted to more than two billion livres. Lenders of money who gave France credit now began to charge 10% interest on loans. Wars are expensive. The French government thus spent a huge portion of their budget on paying the interest. To meet the expenses of the French government, such as the cost of maintaining an army, you must pay the soldiers their salaries, running government offices, etc. The state was forced to increase taxes. Increasing tax was, sadly, not enough. French society in the 18th century was divided into three estates. One, the first estate, or the clergy, who held positions at the church. Two, the second estate, or the nobility, who enjoyed privileges because they were born into a certain family. And three, the third estate, which included businessmen, merchants, peasants, artisans, labourers, servants, etc and only the third estate paid taxes. 60% of the land was owned by the members of the first two estates and richer members of the third estate, and 90% of the population of France were peasants. Most of them did not own the land that they cultivated. The clergy and the nobility were exempt from paying taxes. Peasants were obliged to do work for the nobles. The church too extracted its shares of taxes called tithes from the peasants. They were also made to pay direct taxes called tie and for using everyday items like salt and tobacco. All the burden of financing activities of the entire state of France was borne by the third estate alone. Do you now see a possible problem here? 
The population of France rose from 23 million in 1715 to 28 million in 1789. This created a rapid increase in demand for food. Food production could not keep up with the rising demand. Most workers work on a fixed wage. So as the price of food and other essential commodities rose, the wages could not keep pace with the rise in prices. The gap between the poor and the rich became wider. This led to a substance crisis where the basic means of livelihood were extremely endangered and living became difficult. The 18th century witnessed the emergence of social groups, termed the middle class bourgeois, who earned their wealth through an expanding overseas trade and from the manufacture of goods such as woolen and silk textiles that were exported or bought by richer members of the society. The third estates included lawyers and administrative officials beside merchants and manufacturers. All of these were educated and believed that no group in society should be privileged by birth. They believed that a person's social position should be determined by their merits. They wanted a society based on freedom and equal law. Philosophers like John Locke, Montesquieu and John Rousseau put forward such ideas to the public. The ideas of these philosophers were discussed intensively among the people. In the past, peasants and workers had participated in revolts against the increasing taxes and food scarcity, but they lacked the means and programs to carry out full-scale measures that would bring about a change in the social and economic order. Louis XVI had to increase taxes for the reasons we discussed previously. How did he do it? In France, of the old regime, the monarch did not have the power to impose taxes according to his will alone. Rather, he had to call a meeting of the Estate General, which would then pass his proposals for the new taxes. The Estate General was a political body to which the three estates sent their representatives. However, the King alone could decide when to call a meeting of this body. The last time it was done was in 1614. On the 5th of May, 1789, Louis XVI called together an assembly of the Estates General to pass the proposal for the new taxes. The meeting would take place in the Grand Halls of Versailles. The first and the second estates sent 300 representatives each, who were seated in rows facing each other on two sides, while the 600 members of the third estate had to stand at the back. Peasants, artisans and women were not allowed inside these halls. Their representatives brought with them 40,000 letters for their complaints and grievances. Voting in the Estates General in the past had been conducted according to the principle that each estate had one vote. This time too, Louis XVI was determined to continue the same practice. But members of the Third Estate demanded that voting now be conducted by the Assembly as a whole, where each member would have one vote. When the King rejected this proposal, members of the Third Estate walked out of the Assembly in protest. On the 20th of June, they had assembled in the hall of an indoor tennis court in the grounds of Versailles. They declared themselves a National Assembly and swore not to disperse until they had drafted a constitution for France that would limit the powers of the monarch. They were led by Mirabeau and Abbe Sies. While the National Assembly was busy at Versailles drafting a constitution, the rest of France seethed with turmoil. After the severe winter, there was a bad harvest. 
the prices of bread rose. At the same time, the king ordered troops to move into Paris. And that was on July 14th. The agitated crowd destroyed the prison fortress, Bastille. There were rumours in the villages that the lords had hired people to destroy their ripe crops. Frenzied with fear, peasants attacked Chateau. They looted hoarded grains and burnt down documents containing dues. Nobles fled their homes. Faced with the power of his revolting subjects, Louis XVI finally accorded recognition to the National Assembly and accepted the principle that his powers would now on be checked by a constitution. On the night of the 4th of August 1789, the Assembly passed a decree abolishing the feudal system of obligations and taxes. Tithes were abolished and land owned by the church were confiscated. As a result, the government acquired assets worth 2 billion livres. The National Assembly completed the draft of the Constitution in 1791. Its main objective was to limit the power of the king. Instead of power being concentrated into one person, it now was separated and assigned to different institutions. The legislature, executive and judiciary. This made France a constitutional monarchy. The constitution vested the power to make laws in the National Assembly, which was indirectly elected. That is, citizens voted for a group of electors who in turn chose the assembly. Not everyone had the right to vote. Only men above 25, who paid taxes equal to at least three days of labourer's wage, were given the status of active citizens. That is, they were entitled to vote. The remaining men and all women were classed as passive citizens. To qualify as an elector and then as a member of the assembly, a man had to belong to the highest bracket of taxpayers. The constitution began with the declaration of the rights of man and citizen. Right to life, freedom of speech, freedom of opinion, equality before the law were established as natural and inalienable rights. They belonged to each human being by birth and could not be taken away. It was the duty of the state to protect each citizen's natural rights. When Louis XVI signed the constitution, he entered into secret negotiations with the King of Prussia. Rulers of the neighbouring countries too were worried by the developments in France and made plans to send troops to put down the events that had been taking place since the summer of 1789. Before this could happen, the National Assembly voted in April 1792 to declare war against Prussia and Austria. Thousands thronged to volunteer for the war. They saw this as a war against kings and aristocracies all across Europe. It was here that the song Marseillaise was sung as they marched into Paris and got its name. The song is now the national anthem of France. War always brought losses and economic difficulties. While the men were away fighting, women were left to cope with the tasks of earning a living. Many people wanted the revolution to be carried further as the constitution only gave political rights to the rich. Clubs became an important point for discussing policies and plans among the public. 
the most successful of these was Jacobins. The members of the Jacobin Club belonged mainly to the less prosperous section of the society. They included shopkeepers, artisans, servants, daily wage workers, etc. Their leader was Maximilien Robespierre. A large group among the Jacobins decided to wear long striped trousers. This was to set themselves apart from the fashionable section of the society. These Jacobins came to be known as the Sans Colottes, literally meaning those without knee breeches. In the summer of 1792, the Jacobins planned an insurrection of a large number of Parisians who were angered by the short supplies and high prices of food. On the morning of August 10th, they stormed Palais de Toulouse, massacred the king's guards and held the king himself hostage for several hours. Later, the assembly voted to imprison the royal family. Elections were held. From then, all men of 21 years and above, regardless of wealth, got the right to vote. The newly elected assembly was called the Convention. The 21st of September, 1792, it abolished the monarchy and declared France a republic. There is no hereditary monarchy. Louis XVI was sentenced to death by a court on the charge of treason. On the 21st of January, 1793, he was publicly executed at Place de la Concorde. The Queen, Marie Antoinette, met with the same fate shortly after. The period from 1793 to 1794 was referred to as the Reign of Terror. Robespierre followed a policy of severe control and punishment. All those whom he saw as being enemies of the Republic, ex-nobles and clergy, anyone who did not agree with his methods, were arrested, imprisoned, and then tried by a revolutionary tribunal. If the court found them guilty, they were guillotined. This is a guillotine, a device consisting of two poles and a blade with which a person is beheaded. It's named after Dr. Joseph Ignace Guillotti. There were, however, problems with Robespierre's government. Meat and bread were rationed. Peasants were forced to transport their grain to the cities and sell it at a price fixed by the government. The use of more expensive flour was forbidden and citizens were required to eat the pont égalité, the equality bread. Instead of the traditional monsieur and madame, all French men and women were citoyens and citoyennes. Churches were shut down. Robespierre pursued his policies so relentlessly that even his supporters began to demand moderation. Finally, he was convicted by a court in July 1794, arrested and sent to the guillotine. The fall of the Jacobin government allowed the wealthier middle class to seize power. A new constitution was introduced which denied the vote to non-property sections of the society. It provided for two elected legislative councils. This was meant as a safeguard against the concentration of power in a one-man executive as under the Jacobins. However, the directors often clashed with the legislative councils who often sought to dismiss them. This political instability of the directory led to the way for the rise of military dictator Napoleon Bonaparte. Through all of these changes in the form of government, 
the ideals of freedom, of equality before the law, and of fraternity remain inspiring ideals that motivated political movements in France and the rest of Europe during the following century. Most women did not have access to education or job training, but from the very beginning, women were actively participating in the events that brought so many changes into the French society. Women's movements for voting rights and equal wages continued through the next two centuries through many suffrage movements. It was finally in 1946 that women in France won the right to vote. One of the most important social reforms of the Jacobin regime was the abolition of slavery in the French colonies. The colonies in the Caribbean, Martinique, Guadeloupe and San Domingo were important suppliers of commodities such as tobacco, indigo, sugar and coffee. But the reluctance of the Europeans to go and work in the distant and unfamiliar lands meant shortage of labour on the plantations. So this was met by a triangular slave trade between Europe, Africa and the Americas. Branded and shackled, the slaves were packed tightly into ships for the three month long voyage across the Atlantic Ocean to the Caribbean. They were then sold to the plantation owners. The exploitation of the slave labour made it possible to meet the growing demand in Europe. Throughout the 18th century, there was little criticism of slavery in France. The National Assembly did not pass any laws fearing oppositions from businessmen whose income depended on the slave trade. It was finally the convention which in 1794 legislated to free all slaves in the French overseas possessions. However, 10 years later, Napoleon reintroduced slavery. Plantation owners understood their freedom as including the right to enslave African Negroes in pursuit of their economic interests. Negro is a term used for indigenous people of Africa south of the Sahara. Do not use this word. Slavery was finally abolished in French colonies in 1848. In 1804, Napoleon Bonaparte crowned himself Emperor of France. He set out to conquer neighbouring countries, dispossessing dynastics and creating kingdoms where he placed members of his family. Napoleon saw his role as a moderniser of Europe. He introduced many laws such as protection of private property and a uniform system of weights and measures provided by the decimal system. Many people initially saw Napoleon as the liberator who would bring freedom for the people, but he soon came to be viewed everywhere as an invader. He was finally defeated at Waterloo in 1850. The ideas of liberty and democratic rights were the most important legacy of the French Revolution. These spread from France to the rest of Europe during the 19th century. Okay. Well, thank you so much for watching this video. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please press like and subscribe. If you didn't, then well, unfortunately there's no dislike button. But before you go, there's one announcement that I would like to make. There is a new podcast coming very soon. On this podcast, me and my partner Chongtham are going to be talking about lots of fun stuff. Sports, new affairs, gaming, science, you know, all sorts of fun kind of stuff. Thank you very much for watching this video again. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope to see you very soon. Bye-bye.